chapter 1. Done. Um, and we're going to look at verses 35 through 51. Um, we, have, we have gone through the first 34 verses by looking at the person of Christ, looking at who he was before creation, looking at Christ coming on the earth, being uh, witnessed by John the, the Baptist, but really I would say John the Witness. Uh, that's really another name for John here in, in the last couple of times we gathered. But now John is, makes a declaration that he is the Lamb of God, that he is not just um, a heavenly being. He's not just the Son of God, but he is now the Lamb of God. And, and so um, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at verses uh, 1, 35 to 51. And the sermon title is Discipleship 101. Discipleship 101, and discipleship brings a lot of memories for those of you who are in youth group, or maybe not a lot of memories for those of you who are in youth group. So before I get in there this morning, let me pray and ask God to bless us this morning. Father, I thank you for this morning of prayer. Thank you for our dear friends who are here serving us, who are praying with us. I ask you that those watching here and those, those that are here, Lord, we may be blessed in hearing your word because it is your word that changes us. Father, strengthen us as we open up your scripture and let us remember that you alone are God and that you alone are the one worthy to be followed. No one else. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And so this is what I'm going to do. We're going to read the entire passage. That's a, that's a long passage. But then we're going to look at pieces of it as we go through the sermon. All right, so here we go. John 1, verse 35, okay? If you haven't read your Bible this week, I mean, this is going to be a lot. So here we go. Uh, and it says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, or four o'clock p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Okay, that's the apostle Peter's brother. He first found, him, found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 33, uh, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom the Moses in the law and also all the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending, uh, ascending and descending on 
the Son of Man. And so, as we begin, I want to just begin by introducing you here to John's disciples. Okay, at the very beginning of this passage, you have this uh, guy named Andrew, who is John's disciples. And so that word disciples, I think it's important to define as we were talking about this discipleship theme, discipleship 101. And in your notes, I have a couple of passages that helps us understand that John already had disciples. And that term generally means a learner, a pupil, a disciple. In, the, in ancient times, every teacher would have disciples. There were no high schools. Right? They were, the, they were uh, simply teachers of whom your parents would pay a certain amount so that you can sit under them and become their disciple. John's disciples were actively um, uh, living a life of fasting. Matthew 9.14, uh, we read this, that the disciples of John came um, to him and said, why do Phar- this is to Jesus, why do, um, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your Pharisee, but the, but your disciples do not fast, right? So John's disciples have a lifestyle of fasting. That's what John's disciples um, were like. What else? Well, John's disciples were companions and helpers of John's ministry. In Matthew eleven two, we see this. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent words by his disciples. Okay. Lastly. John's disciples were committed to fasting and prayer. They would fast often. That was part of their community. And, and again, I put a bunch of different uh, reference notes on, on your notes um, that tells you in other instances where we read the, about these disciples. And so, where are we going this morning? This morning in these verses, we're going to see that um, John's disciples are now making the way to their true master, In verses 35 to 51, we're going to see the very basics of disciples. What are disciples about? How does discipleship function at its birth? Now, I know that for many of you, um, if you're a Christian, you're a believer, or if you had the opportunity to, to usher others into Christ, this is going to sound familiar, but when you look at it in Scripture, it really comes alive. And so I put it there that uh, discipleship 101 means this, that disciples follow the way of Jesus, they invest their life in Jesus, they share their encounter with others, and they confess His Lordship. I was trying to get creative, and I put a little acronym there, right? You know, you're kind of like, that's so corny. But it'll help you, trust me. All right? So if there's any place in the Bible that we can learn about discipleship, it's not in a book. I love love books and all that. But it is right here where the first disciples actually come to Christ. The The organic process of their call. How they themselves became students and learners of Christ. I'm sure that I was to ask you, how did you come into discipleship of Christ? How did you come to learn about Christ and learn His ways and walk in His ways? You'll be able to tell me, hey, listen, I walked down the church and I had a sister or brother who actually began to give me a Bible and walk me through it, right? I mean, all of us can maybe have some similar story. Well, we're going to see the stories of four guys, or five guys, five guys, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and possibly John. Okay, and so our question this morning is really going to be, it's really going to be about this. How do we recover discipleship in our personal lives? What is it that motivates us to be true disciples of Jesus? And what does that look like in our daily lives? And so I have some questions. Are you a true follower of Jesus? Are you a true, true disciple or are you a follower of religion? 
okay? Do I love the idea of Christianity, right? Do I love being a believer because I grew up in it? Or do I love the person of Christ? I, I, I would venture, venture to you that most people leave churches and uh, disassociate themselves, become unchurched, not because of anything other than there's no discipleship happening. That is why. There, there is no relationship, there is no community, there is no discipleship 101 that brings them into this place. So my prayer this morning is that we raise the standard of our view of discipleship, but not by commentary, but by what this scriptures, but all these verses tell us. Encountering Jesus does not produce converts. Listen, I'm down for this to be filled with people. I love that, amen to that. Or even church members. But disciples who give their lives to learn and walk in the way of Jesus. It's a very different thing, right? Having a church member that can send you a card or having a convert that can tell you Jesus is the Lord is great. But if they're not walking in the way of Jesus, it's a completely different matter. And so let me begin with that. Let's begin looking at verses 35 and 37. And so uh, last week we looked at John's witness right before the world. He declared, he gave this title of Jesus, the Lamb of God. We looked at that this is a title that tells us that, um, uh, that a, about a lamb who is a substi- uh, substitution uh, sacrifice for sin. And as we know, sin is anything that is contrary or meets God's holy standard. God's holy standard of holiness. Sin includes lying, stealing, coveting, adultery, hatred. Idol- I mean, you, can, you know what sin is, sin is mentally. But it isn't until we realize that it was the Lamb of God who gave his life until we truly see what our sin produced. It required death. And so that was last week. But this week, we see that this is the exact message that draws people to Christ, that draws people to Jesus. Okay, and look again, look at verse um, um, uh, 36, right? And he looked at Jesus and as he walked by, and look at John's declaration, Behold the Lamb of God, right? So here's the shortest sermon that you will ever read, right? Behold the Lamb of God, and look at how quickly his disciples leave. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him and said that, uh, saying this, and they followed Jesus, okay? Now, um, that message has a, drastic, has a drastic effect on people's lives. The fact that Jesus has given his life for sinners, and so the term followed refers to one-time event. They, they, they pretty much decided at that moment, I'm going to make this decision to follow Christ. I don't know how radical your conversion was. I know it's in different variety of degrees. But for many of us, that was an instant moment. When you knew that Christ was for you, not against you, you left everything behind. If you were like me, you, 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 know, you kind of did a little fire and you burn your CDs Right? Or, or you burn your own magazines and, and you said, I'm never going to date anybody. And of course, you get married within six months or something like that because that's how it happens. You do all these things because you hear that message and you leave everything behind. But here's what I want to point out to you, that the source of our desire to follow Jesus did not, begun, did not begin with something we did. We might think that, that it was me that walked in the altar. It was that pastor who said that sermon. It, yes, yes, in some ways, God uses those things. But ultimately, it was the person, it was the Lamb of God who gave his life for us. So we, uh, as Dietrich Baumhofer says, you know, we don't come to a message, we come to the man. That's who we follow. That is whom we are learning from. So becoming disciples who follow Jesus does not take place by our own doing, but it happens through a calling of God. 
The fact is that you were sitting on that pew on that very moment or as, uh, you know, uh, whether in youth group like myself, you were in that moment at that exact time, needed that exact message, that exact prayer because God was calling you. It wasn't you coming and knowing that you needed help, although maybe you thought so. Behind that was the sovereignty of God coming and calling you at that very moment. How powerful is that? The disciples are called. Amen. John 6 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to them. So disciples are followers of Jesus who are called by Jesus. Now this uh, does not mean that Andrew and possibly John, the writer of this letter, were, uh, were in this incredible relationship right off the bat, right? I mean, we know this for a fact. But uh, we know from experience that following the way of Jesus is a progressive relationship, right? We, we fall in love with Jesus and then things get hard, right? Um, you know, job uh, kind of gets, gets hard. Marriage gets hard. Children gets hard. And, and it's a progressive relationship. So uh, in time, we grow in commitment, in knowledge, and in love for Jesus. And so my point here is that following Jesus, becoming disciples of Jesus, does not happen all at once. And I think that's important when we look at people in our circles. We're in different levels. We're in different places. Whether Andrew or John knew or not, they were irresistibly drawn to Jesus. Think about that. You, you couldn't stop it. As hard as you wanted it, you could not stop being drawn to Jesus. And so as I mentioned here that in ancient times, disciples were tethered to their teachers. They would learn everything until they would be teachers themselves. And with one statement, watch this, they leave John just like that. John was, I mean, John was a pretty, I mean, he was pretty, you know, pretty good communicator, right? I mean, people were following him. He was kind of quirky and weird, but people were following him. Uh, the Pharisees were questioning who he was. Was he a prophet? Was he Elijah? I mean, he had some sense of notoriety in that area. But yet, with one statement, we're able to leave the past and move towards the future. From the moment of our encounter with Jesus, we begin to follow him, follow him, and we're not alone. God is with us, and he does not leave us blindly. In fact, look at verse 38. Jesus immediately notices they're following him, and this is what he says. Jesus turns to them, sees them following, and says, I think the question that everybody asks, that we, I think Jesus asks us all the time, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They don't really answer that question, do they? They just say, uh, listen, just tell us where you're going. There, there is not a step that you take which escapes Jesus' eye as disciples. Yet this is the very question that cuts us here this morning and I think should always makes us reassess our relationship with Christ. What are you seeking when you're a disciple of Jesus? What are you seeking when you become a true follower of the way? In other words, uh, to translate it plainly, the question is, what do you want? You're a disciple of Jesus here, watching online. What do you want from Christ? Um, we're not following an organization or a company or a social club, but we're following a man. And I think that for us, to follow Jesus requires self-reflection of our motives. Um, many times we get stuck in you know, churchianity <laughs> and, and just a Christian circle. But we have to ask, what is my motive of being a disciple of Jesus? Jesus never softened, softened the truth. The truth is that following him leads to difficult choices. This racial issue, let me tell you something, is not an easy thing to talk about. 
because we're so just in different areas, in different places. Yet, when you, we must ask, what are we here for? Are we here for ourselves or we're here, we here to seek Christ? Today, we're being bombarded with false ideas of the gospel. Satisfaction today is found in what he can give or whether or not he can get me out of this jam. That's what discipleship means for many today. I follow Jesus because I know that I need this or I want a new car or I want prosperity or I want health or I want uh, really a great life. But that's, that is, I mean, what are we seeking when we're talking about Christ? So I write here, what are you seeking? And I, 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 do you seek the, the, the wealth, health of your own life, self-worth? Uh, uh, what are you seeking? A wife, a husband, a better job? What do you need help with? Raising your kids, more friends, better personality, a way out of debt? See, uh, this is not true discipleship. This is not, what the, this is not what Jesus came to give you. To truly follow Jesus means that he becomes everything to us. All of us here follow someone or something. Friends, pop culture, uh, our selfish desires. But the question is this, who do you follow? Whose disciple are you this morning? As we think about Discipleship 101 and what, what does discipleship look like, brothers and sisters, we must truly think about that question. What is it that you want when you meet Christ? Is it for you or is it to magnify his name? It is, it is it to have a relationship with the one who has given his life for us. And so um, they respond this way. Again, verse, uh, verse 38. Rabbi, where are you staying? Okay, it, 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 and um, I want to give us a, a note here that it's okay not to have the right answers all the time, right? It's okay that... that Sometimes we don't know what to say to our relationship with Christ as we come to know him in our discipleship, but yet we must still follow Christ. The term teacher is not yet Lord. They would say this at the end of, the, of these passages. He's still a teacher. It's a respectful term to simply give him some type of authority. As they get to know Jesus, they will change that name and say, now he is Lord. So it is for us as well. And so... Um, uh, here's where I want to begin when we think about that, you know, that following Jesus, following the way of Jesus. The disciples follow the way of Jesus and walk in step of their master. They ha- there has to be self-reflection of where they're going and who they are following. This does not mean we're perfect. This does not mean that you're going to walk into my house on a Thursday night at 9 p.m. when I'm putting my kids to bed and everything's amazing. It's not because... We are still here because we're still in need of Jesus. We're not perfect. But nevertheless, we're disciples on the way, in the way of Jesus. And so disciples first follow Jesus. So the first question for us this morning is, are we following the way? Are we truly giving our lives to following where he calls us? Where are the places that he calls us? Are there, easy, are there, are there hard things or easy things that he's calling us to do? And are we saying yes to that? Uh, for many of us, that may not be an easy answer to, to, to say this morning, but we must. Disciples follow the way of Jesus. Okay, uh, number two, disciples invest their life for Jesus. Now, this is a big one for me, okay, because I, I struggle with this one, and, and maybe you can relate to this in some way. But look at verse 39, and it says, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For he was about 
4 p.m. or the 10th hour. Now, I have a picture, and you guys can't see it here, but I have a picture of my calendar um, online. And, you know, I know that all of us have a tight calendar, and there's some times that it's tighter than others. And I'm sure you can pull it out, and we can go, you know, 9, 9, 9 to 12, you, you, got, you got kids, right? You know, 12 to 2, meeting. You know, uh, you know what is it, 4 to 6, another meeting, school for some of, some of us. And our mental capacity and physical capacity outside of work, leisure, children, is this much. This is how big it is, okay? But there's something tragic about this in our relationship with Christ because discipleship means investment. Discipleship means investment. The early disciples not only left behind their life, but they rearranged their life in order to follow Jesus. Some of them left their jobs, their security, to follow Jesus. In Luke 14, verse 27 and 28, this is what Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and comes after me cannot be my disciple. That word, come after me, is a word of investment. Jesus does come to us and says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and then we come to Christ, but then this is what Jesus does. Okay, but I'm going this way, and you gotta come after me. Verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. This is what the disciples did with Jesus here in verse 39. This is what they said, I'm going to stay over and I'm going to invest my time and learn from this man. We know, of course, they would leave everything behind and ultimately become his apostles. But Andrew and John here decide to stay with Jesus until the next day. With that investment of time and life, there would be no relationship, no knowledge of Christ. Now the question, um, the questions uh, that, that we need to ask ourselves this morning is, are we giving that investment to our master? Are we giving our time to him? Today we can't physically see and ask Jesus questions, but we have, we have this precious word. We have his church to illumine us. We have fellowship, I mean, not so much fellowship now, but we have his church that actually um, helps us grow in investment. This uh, Discipleship 101 tells us that we must invest our life in Christ. We do not hear the message. We do not come here on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half or watch for an hour online and simply go, all right, that's great. Let me get back to my schedule. I can't really change or rearrange anything because I'm too busy for God. I think that's a problem in our culture, right? Too busy. Anybody busy? You guys are busy a little bit, right? Um, uh, Kevin DeYoung has this quote from his book, Crazy Busy. He says, being with Jesus is the only thing strong enough to pull us away from busyness, okay? Being with Jesus is the only thing strong enough to pull us away from busyness. Are we investing? Are you investing in your discipleship process with Jesus personally, just you? Investing in our spiritual life and is our investment in our growth for love for Jesus. Discipleship, watch this, is not somebody else's job. It is our task to ask questions, to follow through in our desire to know Christ, to find ways to equip ourselves to the means of the church and his Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, my worry, my concern is that the level of investment that we give to Christ is this little. Or that we look at checks and we say, I've done my duty. I've read what I needed to read. And there's little personal relationship communion with God. 
And so disciples follow Jesus, follow, hear their master, and they walk in his way, but then they say, where are you staying? I'm going to stay with you. I want to hang out with you. I want to get to know you. And that's going to take work. But nevertheless, that's what we are called to do. And, and I want you to keep thinking about this as we think about this aspect of discipleship. So, so one, disciples follow. Two, um, two, disciples invest. And number three, disciples share Christ. Now, again, this is probably a simple piece here. But at the very least... Um, when you look at verses 40 through 45, and I'm not going to read this because we read this before we started, but 40 through 45, what you're going to see is you're going to see evangelism at work through brand new disciples. Andrew to Peter, Philip to Nathaniel. Okay? In these passages, Jesus comes first to these two guys first. Andrew, who goes to his brother, Simon Peter, who would be the rock of the church. I mean, we know that guy, Right? Um, and Okay, so let me, let me go through there real quick. Verse 41. Um, he first found his brother Simon and said to him, he, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Okay? And look at verse 44. Now Philip was in Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses um, in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So notice that the first thing that these disciples do is to tell others about their encounter with Jesus. Andrew's brother was Peter, and as we know, his contribu- contribution was great. So um, here is one practical way. Okay, we're talking about discipleship. I know that many of us are like, oh, I'm afraid of evangelizing the street, and that's just not me, or I'm intimidated. Well, disciples um, of Christ shared first with their own family. Okay, disciples share with their own family. Now, I've had ups and downs in these all the time. There's been seasons where my family has come to know Christ. They've connected and then they just left. So I felt the weight of that. But maybe in your own family table, when you gather and dinner and when issues are being brought up, you have an opportunity to simply say, look, the Lamb of God, I have found the one who is the Christ. I have found the Messiah. I have found the truth of my life. Disciples share Christ with others. And there is just no, there's no way to get around that. You, you may think you, you, you're, you may become intimidated, but you never know who will be, who will be impacted through your testimony. In fact, think about, uh, I, I've heard so many testimonies of children, you know, who come in a Christian family and they grow, get to know Christ, and they go through a prodigal son season only to come back later and to know Christ later, there is not one time that you share the gospel that does not come back with some power. God uses that to reach the uttermost darkness of people's hearts, no matter where they are, including our family. Let let me give you an illustration here. And, And you have your notes. You can read this along with me. But as a young man of 17, Dwight found himself placed in a Sunday school class led by a man named Edward Kimball. Uh, Kimball tells us with his own words what happened to this, uh, in this uh, story between uh, Kimball and Dwight. I decided to speak to Dwight about Christ and about his soul. I stared him down. Um, I started downtown to Halton's shoe store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I had to just uh, uh, go during business hours. 
I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy. And, and when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was. And when they learned, my taunt Dwight asked if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. While I was pondering over all, I passed the store without noticing. Then I found I had gone by the door. Uh, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. He found Dwight in the back part wrapping up shoes and paper and stacking on shelves. I went up to him and put my hand on his shoulder. As I leaned over, I placed my foot upon his shoebox. Looking down into Dwight's eyes, he made, um, he made what he thought afterwards a very weak plea. Neither could ever recall the exact words, but Kimball asked him to come to Christ, who loved him and who wanted his love and should have it. And, and there was tears in Kimball's eyes, it seemed. Kimball recorded the young man was just ready for the light that broke upon him. For there at once, in the back of the shoe store in Boston, uh, Dwight L. Moody gave himself and his life to Christ. Kimball slipped from the store a few minutes after he'd entered. Think about that. A shoe store, a, a, a quick sermon, and we have uh, D.L. Moody who would become one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century, leading thousands to Christ in Britain and North America. Now, I know that's like, man, that's a crazy story, but I'll tell you that the lady that prayed for me uh, back 18 years ago when I was in the Portuguese Pentecostal church right in the back seat, I don't remember her name. I don't. And I, I pretty much I'll tell you, she probably doesn't remember me. But the one prayer and the one asking me that I need to repent, I need to come to Christ, that she saw darkness in my heart, that moment was accredited to her account. Amen? Think about every single opportunity you have to preach the gospel to people. Do you think that lady's ministry was small? Do you think Mr. Kimball's ministry was, was small? Well, not really. It was important. Your declaration of Jesus to others is what makes you a disciple. Disciples who are not declaring Jesus are not disciples. You lead others to Christ. We don't lead others to our viewpoint or to even to our church. But we lead others to, to the man Christ Jesus. Look what Andrew says to, to Peter. We have found the Messiah. Look what Philip says to Daniel. We have found the one of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Okay, if you want a, a really simple message, want a simple uh, way to evangelize people, tell them about your experience, right? Isn't that what Andrew and Peter are doing, right? They're not, they don't have some theological, you know, uh, big statement. What do they say? I have found him. Sometimes all we need is to tell people our story, to tell them how he has changed from darkness into light. I don't want to undermine the beauty and depth of the gospel, but the message is so simple, and what it's done for your life can actually have an impact on others. When we tell others about Christ, we share about how he's touched us. We shared about how before we knew him, we were in darkness. Before him, we had no true life, and now in him, we have eternal life. And so disciples uh, uh, share Christ with others. When was the last time you took just time in your kitchen table and you shared Christ with your family? When was the last time you made a family dinner where you would end with a story about your own life and how your life is renewed in Christ? And they're not going to fully understand it. They're probably going to judge you for it. They're going to laugh at you. They're not going to like you. But I've been there. And I think that the Lord wants us to become true disciples by sharing Christ 
with others. And so, again, um, we must follow the way of Jesus. We must invest in Christ um, and disciples share Christ. But lastly, and we're going to read here in the last verses, is that disciples must continue to confess that he is the Christ. Confessing Christ is not a one-time event that we do it at an altar when somebody tells us who wants to receive Jesus. We must always confess Christ in the hard days, in the good days. Disciples um, must confess him as Lord. And so look, look with me at verse 46. Um, let's see how I'm doing with time. Verse 46, and uh, we're going to finish up here as we think about confession, Okay. The response of, Dan, of Nathaniel, right? Look at, um, where are we here? Uh, in, in verses 48, 46 through 50, Nathaniel is answering this, it says this, that what good can come out of Nazareth? Right, we can do a long stu- study out of Nazareth, but at the very least, uh, we know that Nazareth was not Jerusalem. At the very least, we know Nazareth is not Bethlehem, right? Micah chapter 4, where it says that out of, um, out of Bethlehem will come God's son. And notice here that Philip wants to get Nathaniel's attention by saying it is him of whom Moses spoke about. It is him of whom the Old Testament prophets prophesied. This tells us one thing, that Nathaniel was probably versed in the Old Testament. He knew that if you look through the Old Testament and you try to find Nazareth, you won't find it. You will not, you will not, will not find it. Uh, now, this is how unbelief works, that you can come and tell people about Jesus, and there'll be that person who'll say, well, I know about Jesus, and they'll give you something. They'll give you some type of response to fight your confession, to fight what you believe. People desire to find truth, and when the truth of the gospel is presented, when you point to a verse, they quickly run, run to another. They quickly run somewhere else or to a book or to some other ideology or um, to some other form of Christianity. Well, Nathaniel is one of these. He's downplaying Philip's elated statement. And so um, look at verse 46. Here's Philip's share, uh, sharing Christ. His strategy is what? Just come and see, right? Just come and see and you'll see. Many of us have been invited by our friends to come and see what Jesus is about, and he's used um, them to draw us near to Jesus. Now, I think for many people, you know, the, the whole come and see movement, if you know what that is, is just simply inviting friends, not really telling them about Jesus, right? But, but simply saying, just come. Just, just come to my house. Come to a small group. Just come to church. Come and see what this is about. We see it here in some way that the Lord even uses that to bring people to Christ. And so Jesus meets Nathanael, and what does he say? Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. This man was a man of integrity. Most people would simply thank the person for the compliment. But Nathanael, through to this character, wants to know why would Jesus make such an assertion of him. And Jesus answers this way, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, there's a lot of fig trees in Israel. It was a national symbol. So being under the fig tree wouldn't be that remarkable in itself. But it is something else that Jesus knows and Nathaniel knows he knows. Now, we don't know exactly what that was. But he was so fascinated by what Jesus had seen, what Jesus had realized, that immediately there was a climax of his realization of who he was. 
See, when you become a disciple, then you begin to confess who he truly is. And so let me, um, let me look at this again. And look at what Nathaniel says in verse 49. Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. So he says, he says three things about Christ. He says, one, he is rabbi. He is a teacher. He is the one who would know the truth of God. He is the son of God, right? The one that would come from heaven, and he is the king. He is the king of Israel. Now, this confession was the product of others leading, other, leading others to Jesus. Now, here's my point, is that Nathaniel could not come to that realization by himself, right? Nathaniel did not just come up with that realization by himself. Who had a part to play in it, right? We had Philip who had a role to play in it. We had Jesus himself coming there and Jesus himself seeing something under the fig tree that gr grabbed his attention. And it is here that Nathaniel makes this declaration, makes this declaration about Jesus. And so um, what is the greater things that he would see? And so we finish here in the last passage in verse four, uh, 51. He says, truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Genesis 28. It is a famous chapter on Jacob's ladder when he meets God. Um, and the patriarch Jacob had a dream during the night, uh, during his flight from his brother Esau. In this dream, he saw a ladder extending from heaven to earth. And on the ladder, there was what? Angels. Right? You guys remember that passage? Descending, ascending, ascending, and descending from this ladder. In the midst of this dream, he hears God's voice. And what does God say? In thy seed, through thy seed, all your family shall be blessed. But look what Jesus says here. I mean, this is, this is pretty wild. Jesus says this. You will see heaven open, so same picture, the angels of God descending and ascending, not on the ladder, but on who? The Son of Man the Son of God. They would see the glories of heaven descending on the Son of Man. Jesus takes the place of Jacob's ladder. In other words, Jesus would be the link between heaven and earth. Jesus would be the one who would come and give us this blessing of, upon all the world. One last thing here that I want to bring up is that there's a change in the pronoun going from second person singular to second person plural. When he says I say to you, you will see. It's not just Nathaniel here. He's actually, in the, in the original language, he says, you all. You all are going to see this. So Jesus is speaking to all of us about the hope and, and true life that is coming through the condescension, the coming down of Christ. The glorious condescension of Jesus into the flesh brought eternal hope, life, and power over sin. The glorious coming down to the earth will happen again when Jesus returns and takes his children with him. Yet, Nathaniel, think about this. Nathaniel did not have this revelation. I mean, think about what revelation he's giving him here, right? He's saying, um, I know you. I know what you're doing under the fig tree. Um, I know you're very innermost. And then he gives him a prophetic future revelation of what is to come. But Nathaniel did not begin with this understanding. He began with a question. What, good, what, what can come out of Nazareth? But quickly, his confession changed. And I think for many of us as disciples of Jesus, our confession is so critical to our growth in Christ. We may have questions. We may not understand it all. But is our confession 
that he is the son of God, is our confession that he is the king uh, of Israel. Um, when we think about Discipleship 101, we're thinking about how is our life, do we confess Christ when things get hard? Do we confess Christ when we don't truly understand? And if not, Lord, how do we get there with you? And so this morning, I try to just give four um, kind of points here as we talk about uh, these particular verses. And it is to follow, invest, share, and confess. If you guys were all here, we would do this together, okay? I would make you say this. Follow, invest, share, and confess. Follow, invest, share, and confess. Where are we struggling to grow as disciples of Christ? Are you following the way of Jesus? Are you counting the cost of what he's called us to do? It is not easy to be a Christian today. But are you following the way? Are you investing your time into the things of God? Is the word of God central in our lives? Is the gathering of the saints first thing in your calendar? Are you erasing all things so that you can say, no, I need to invest in my spiritual life? Number three, are we sharing the good news? Are we sharing, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in our daily rhythms, right? Oftentimes, you know, we... We gather together and we say, we're going to have an evangelism night. And I appreciate that. I love that stuff. But you know that the most amount of time when we have unbelievers is in our daily rhythms of life, right? Isn't that true? Right? For most of us, you know, if you work uh, 40 hours uh, a week, you're with your, uh, well, now it's Zoom, right? Now you're with your uh, employers and employees. And you're most likely with people who have never heard the message of Christ, so it is sharing Christ in the daily rhythms of our life. And lastly, confess. Do we continually confess through thick or thin, through our questions and um, just hard seasons, do we confess that Christ is Lord and do we continue on this journey? See, encountering Jesus right at the very beginning produces disciples who give their life to learn and walk in the way of Jesus. We must give our life to him. A true encounter with the second person of the Trinity creates a new person that is fascinated, motivated um, by the Lamb of God, the Son of God, and King of Israel. And so um, as we respond this morning, uh, my main really heart behind these passages is to really come before the Lord and ask Him to raise the standard of discipleship. For it not to be this... um, just thing that's ethereal, that's just, yeah, we're supposed to be disciples, so I go to church, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. No, but, but it's to really reassess and have self-reflection. Who am I learning from? Right? Uh, you know, who, who is teaching me the Bible? Who, who am I sharing Christ with? Who am I confessing when things get hard? Am I confessing my own emotional pleas to my life that my life sucks? Or am I confessing Christ, you're a Lord? And you will give me a way out. Um, and so let me, let me pray as we think about this together and invest our time now here. Father, I, I ask you this morning that um, we may think about our life of discipleship. Father, we know that we have hard days and easy days, but Lord, I do pray for a culture of discipleship, a discipleship, Lord, that matters. A discipleship, Lord, that allows us to follow Jesus. Father, a a discipleship that makes us put everything to the side and simply 
um, rearrange our time for you. And Father, um, to be bold in our sharing of the gospel and in our confession. Father, we love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would, would you stand and let's sing and worship?